Father, we, we need you. That's not some church phrase that we use. We are all broken people. We are all facing things that we can't overcome by our own strength, our own sin, our own patterns of destructive behavior and relationship. Those individuals around us who, who are hurtful, harmful in relationship with us, the circumstances of the world that we live in that are beyond our control. God, we're all facing what would be impossible odds, but we wanna praise you for Jesus and his overcoming strength, his grace and mercy available to us. And Father, I pray that you would increase our joy in Jesus today. Lord, convince us that whatever we may be going through, Christ is stronger than that. Lord, I pray that Christ would be glorified as we lay ourselves before him and say, we can't do it, but we believe you can that that would exalt Jesus. Lord, I pray not only for our joy, but for those that gather in the name of Christ all over this community, including those who are right now serving for the sake of the gospel at Space Coast Seafarers. Lord, I thank you for Mark. Lord, I thank you for his family, for their service, their faithfulness uh, to this fellowship of this church family, but also to the ministry uh, among seafarers. Lord, I pray you would bless them. I pray you'd be glorified through them. Lord, I ask that they would be encouraged today and that we would do a good job of making it known that we love them and we're grateful for the work of Christ in them. Pour out your spirit upon them. And Lord, may you cast the bread of the gospel upon many waters there at the port. And I pray that the nations would know there is a God and his name is Jesus as they gather there in the Port Canaveral. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we look forward to hearing what you're gonna say to us today and I ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to, well, hold on, hold on, I always forget this. If you have kids who need to go to kids' worship, Go ahead and send them over to the kids' check-in areas. If you have children, first through fourth grade, and you haven't checked them in yet, um, make sure you accompany them to the kids' worship workers so that they can have a record. They can kind of annotate there and give you a, a pass to pick your kids up. You're gonna want them returned to you, so you better get your pass uh, to, to have them checked out after the service. So, sorry, I almost forget it every single week, but then I look up and they wave their arms at me and say, please don't forget this. Um, anyhow, okay, so... Philippians chapter one, we're continuing our study in the book of Philippians and we're talking about the unshakable joy that Jesus gives. Um, and I don't know what it is about this area. We've lived here for almost 13 years, but there's a term that I've become familiar with since moving here. It may be that we're so close to uh, different military installations, the Kennedy Space Center's on Merritt Island. Um, maybe that we're living in a place where there could be hurricanes, but there's a term that I've become familiar with and here's the term, emergency preparedness. You guys know that, right? No, I lived in Ohio. Ohio, we didn't have emergency preparedness. The, the closest that we came to emergency preparedness was when two guys would sit down to watch an Ohio State football game and one would say to the other, hey, if this goes to overtime, do we not have enough chili uh, to last? And, and that's emergency preparedness. Anyhow, here's what I've learned about emergency preparedness. Uh, you have to think of things ahead of time. Think through things ahead of time and scenarios ahead of time so that it almost becomes second nature for you to respond a certain way if you're going to be prepared for certain emergencies. That's what it means to be prepared, to be thinking and prepared ahead of time. And I want to give you some scenarios where I think almost all of you are probably already prepared to respond with a second nature type of response. So I'm going to put these under the heading of uh, what do you do when? And you can answer them if you want or you can just think thinking out loud, but these are scenarios I was thinking through that it's almost second nature for me. So uh, what do you do when you're driving and it starts to rain? What, what do you guys think? 
Good job. Everybody answered. I had no idea what any of you said. Here's the story. Some of you said, I heard put on windshield wipers. You've got that, right? Slow down a little bit, right? Slow down a little bit. Give some space to the car in front of you. Some of you, apparently when it rains in Florida, you turn on your hazards, you pull off to the side of the road because nobody can drive in rain. Did you know that stuff freezes up north and it's called ice and you got to drive in it? Anyhow, that's another time. Uh, What do you do when you're you're talking on the cell phone and it starts to beep with that low battery? What What do you do then? What do you guys do? Plug it in. Way to go. Yeah, plug it in. Say, hey, I gotta go, right? Cut the conversation short. You guys know what to do. What do you do when you're nearing lunchtime and your stomach starts to growl? You get to the nearest Chipotle, exactly, uh, right away. You eat, you do it. You guys know that. You're prepared for certain scenarios because you've thought ahead of time. You're ready for that. But here's another one. Don't answer this one out loud, okay? Don't answer this one out loud because uh, you'll, you'll steal my point and I won't have to preach the sermon. So here, let me ask you this one. What do you do when something threatens to steal your joy? What do you do when something threatens to steal your joy? Because here's what you need to know. Things will threaten to steal your joy. And last week we talked about the fact that Jesus offers us, he he enables us to have unshakable joy, joy that doesn't have to be taken away by prisons, by pain, by people, by the loss of comfort or social status. Jesus provides us unshakable joy. But that's not to say that we don't have to fight to live in the joy that Jesus provides. As a matter of fact, most of us would say that our Christian journey has really been one big fight for joy. We gotta constantly fight against the ways our joy comes under attack. As a matter of fact, some of you last week as you left this place and you heard about unshakable joy, your joy was immediately under attack. Some of you didn't even have to leave this place and your joy was immediately under attack. Each week I see what goes on in our parking lot and your joy is under attack. We, we, we get it. So what do you do when your joy is under attack? That's what I wanna point out this morning. Uh, Jesus provides us unshakable joy, but what do we do when our joy is under attack? And I want to show you what I see happening with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1. And here's what it is. I want you to, to see this ahead of time. So uh, here's what I see that Paul is doing as his, his joy would otherwise be under attack. Paul talked to himself, to others, and to God about gospel truth, right? Paul talked to himself, to others, and to God about gospel truth. I want you to see that, so be looking for that in our text. We're gonna read verses one through 11 this morning. Philippians chapter one, and it begins in verse one. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thinking about these gospel partners and he speaks, you can hear him almost speaking to himself. I'm sure of this. As I think about you, I think about this. Here's my gospel lens. So Paul's talking to himself as he thinks about them. He's talking to himself about gospel truth. He says, I'm sure of this. I'm confident in this. I'm convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ as he thinks about other individuals he loves and he wants them to be well. He thinks about them and he immediately, instead of being 
captive to the fear and anxiety that would be in his heart about them, he starts to talk about gospel truth. Here's what I know, as hard as your life might be, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete. See that there? He's, he's talking through gospel truth with himself. Verse seven, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And here's talking to God, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what's excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That's all gospel truth, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is the word of God for us today. Jesus is the source and center of unshakable joy. We saw that last week. When Jesus is the middle of our lives, the source of our lives, the reason for our living, he fills us, enables us to have unshakable joy. And as that joy comes under attack, we are called to talk to ourselves, to one another, and to God about gospel truth. When your joy is under attack, you need to hold up a gospel lens and begin talking to yourself, to others, and to God about gospel truth. We'll come back around to that, but I don't want to make an assumption this morning. I don't want to assume that you automatically know gospel truth. When I say gospel truth, that's become almost a catchphrase in our our culture. Uh, It's the gospel truth. What do you mean by gospel? Here's the deal. If you don't know the gospel, you can't speak the gospel. If you don't know the gospel, you can't believe the gospel. If you can't articulate the gospel, what reason do you have to believe you're trusting in the gospel? If you're not trusting in the gospel, what reason do you have to believe you're right with God? I don't want to assume you know the gospel truth. And so there are three big gospel truths that I want you to be equipped with today that you can speak over yourself, over others in your life, and you can pray to God on their behalf and your own, and they're loaded right here in this text. I wanna show you three truths about the gospel. Gospel means good news, and the good news is good news about Jesus, who he is and what he does in us, through us, and for us. So let me tell you gospel truth number one, okay? Gospel truth number one, it's found in verse six. Look at verse six. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me show you this gospel truth number one. God began the work of saving you. You hear that? God began the work of saving you. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're depending on him to make you right with God, here's what that tells us. God began that work in you. The the work of salvation is completely and entirely a gracious work of God. You need to know this. We aren't saved because we started seeking and investigating and going hard after God. We're saved because God goes hard after us. That's a great word for us this morning. God came hard after you. He came after you. I was talking to a, a young couple that Emily and I have been relating with in our community. They're part of our five, and we've tried to love them for the sake of the gospel. And she told me, uh, this young lady told me the, the coolest thing not long ago. Uh, she said, listen, ever since we met you and Emily, it's felt like God has been after us. Hallelujah. You know what I said? He has. 
He has. God comes hard after us. God begins the work of saving us. Here's a few of the ways the Bible says that. Here's how the Bible describes it. The Bible describes God coming hard after us like this. God loved us in spite of our sin and he keeps on loving us in spite of our sin. Let me give you a couple verses for that if you don't believe me. John 3, 16. For God so what? So love the world. Are you in the world? God loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John four nineteen says we love because God first loved us. You need to hear something this morning. If you are alive on planet earth, and I assume most of you look that way, a couple of you are questionable, here's what you need to hear. God loves you. God loves you. Whatever else might be going on in your life, whatever pain, whatever challenge you might be facing, whatever circumstances you are in that would threaten to steal your joy, listen up and hear this. God Almighty loves you. And some of you know that feeling of wanting to be loved, craving the love of someone. For many of us, that's been a constant theme in our lives. We've desired for someone to love us. We went through middle school and the teenage years just wishing that that pretty, most popular girl would look our way and she never did, Titus. We went through college hoping that we should somehow catch the eye of that girl we met at the movies. And she finally did, Titus. That's all I'm talking about, you, boo. I'm talking about you, boo. Anyhow, we're going through our marriages wishing that, that our spouse would fall back in love with us. We go to our job hoping the people there would appreciate this and listen to the truth of the Bible and the good news of Jesus, the most beautiful, lovable, wonderful, glorious, enjoyable person in all of existence loves you. God Almighty loves you. Several years ago, I was at the park with my kids and, and I had them in a, uh, a tire swing and I was swinging them, spinning them all around and I'm looking at these little kids and they're just filled with joy. They're, they're, they're just laughing and giggling and they're saying, faster, dad, faster. And I'm looking at them as they're going around and as they're spinning around, each one of their faces comes into view and I can just see the joy in their faces and I get overwhelmed at how much I love these kids. And I'm just, I'm just looking. I'm like, I'm looking for someone to look weird at them. So I just go over there and say, what's up, man? I'm just ready uh, to love these kids. And as they're spinning around, one of them started singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And then the other two joined in. And so here they are spinning. I'm standing there looking at these kids, thinking I love those kids more. They have no idea how much I love them. And they start singing, Jesus loves me. This I know, and they're singing it to the top of their lungs at Rotary Park. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And the Holy Spirit whispers to my heart, Titus, do you really believe that? Jesus loves you in a way that makes your love for them pale in comparison. You think you love those kids? You don't know what love is, man. I love you. And I've struggled my whole life believing that. God would love me, knowing my dirt and my filth and my failures, knowing my weakness, my smallness, struggling. God, do you really love me? All my wishing for people to love me, all my desiring to actually fit in in school or to be chosen at kickball, which I never was. All of that was the ache of my heart, wanting to be loved, wanting to be loved. 
And the Bible says this, son, daughter, wherever you might be, whatever you might be facing, you need to know this. I love you. He began a work in us because he first loved us. God loves you. And even more than that or beyond that or within that, God wants you. When Philippians 1.6 says, God began a work of saving these people, that's not just some generic love. It's a specific love. It's a love that desires you. God doesn't love everybody in general and no one in particular. You ever met somebody like that? Oh, I love everybody until they actually meet somebody and they can't get over how messed up they are. That's not how God loves us. He loves us individually. He wants us. He desires us. That's the story of the Philippians. That's why last week I talked about how Lydia was saved, how, how the jailer was saved, how the slave girl was saved, how, how, how Paul himself was saved. God wanted them. God wanted Paul, so he showed up on the road to Damascus and he said, I'm going to get you, Paul. I'm going to get you because I desire you. And he did what it took to get Paul. He sent Paul to Philippi and he did what it took to get Lydia because he wanted Lydia and he opened her heart to the truth. God wanted that little slave girl that nobody else really wanted so he used Paul to go to her and cast out those evil spirits because he set her free, he loved her, he wanted her. God wanted that jailer and his family and so he sent Paul into that prison and he shook the prison and broke the shackles and kept the prisoners there because he did what it took to get that jailer and that's the story of every follower of Jesus Christ. God loves you and he wants you and he desired you and he did what it took to get you you're wanted you're desired the bible uses terms like adopted chosen predestined to describe followers of jesus christ you're loved you're wanted you're desired you're chosen you're adopted so for every little kid that's felt unwanted for every for every little titus green pick last for kickball never asked into the the group of kids you wanted to be in for every adult that somehow feels like that kid when you're single and you don't want to be, when your spouse doesn't seem to remember the reason they married you, when your prodigal won't come home, when your career isn't moving forward, you need to know this. Christ followers are loved and wanted. Father desires you, he wants you. And we could talk all morning long about that first part. God began a work out of his love and his desire for you. He began the work of saving you. But let's go to gospel truth number two. Look back at verse six. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Gospel truth number one, God began the work of saving you. Gospel truth number two, God will finish the work of saving you. It's not in doubt, guys. It's not questionable. We're not wondering how the story ends. If you've been born again and are trusting in Jesus Christ, your destiny is sealed by the power and love of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. God will finish the work he started in you. You can't be separated from the love of God. You can't be kicked out from the family of God. You can't be unchosen or have your election recalled. God loves you and he will finish the work he started in you. Go to Romans chapter eight. You guys gotta see this for yourselves. Romans chapter eight. Romans eight. I, am I the only one who's enjoying this? Like I, sometimes I feel like you think I'm on television, that I can't see you. 
Just saying, a smile, is it hard? Thanks, John, by the way, I saw that hand. Look at Romans 8, 28. Gospel truth number two, God will finish the work of saving you. He began it, he will finish it. Look at this in in chapter eight, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How many things? All things work together for good. Now, Now, we all know that. Uh, we've got it on a bumper sticker on the back of a car, but look at this next phrase. For those who are called according to his purpose. So what's the good purpose that God is causing all things to work together for? Listen, he's causing it all to work together. How, how many things again? All. all things, all things. What's that include? Everything. Yeah, way to go, you're doing it. All things, everything. So if you're thinking of a thing, yeah, it's in there. All right, all things are working together. Who's working them together? God is doing a work, working everything together. And what's the good thing that God makes everything together to to work together to accomplish? Look at verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he wanted you. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You hear that? Here's the good work God is causing everything to work together for, that you would be made like Jesus Christ. God's causing everything in your life to work together to make you more and more like Jesus. That's the work God began when he began saving you, and that's the work he's going to complete in your salvation, that you would become more and more like Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's one of the ways that you know that God began that actual work, is that you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Look at verse 30. Those that he predestined, he also called And those whom he called, he also justified. And those that he justified, justified is declared not guilty. It means that we're saved, we're we're declared not guilty, we're forgiven. He also justified. And those that he justified, he also glorified. How many of those who are justified are actually glorified? All of them. Sounds pretty certain to me. In everything and all things, and for all those who have been called and predestined and justified will be glorified. God will begin a work of saving us, and he is faithful to complete it entirely by his grace for his glory. And here's what you need to know. Because that gospel truth is gospel truth, whatever you're going through right now is part of God making you into the image of Christ if you're trusting in him. Whatever you're facing, whatever pain, whatever discomfort, whatever disappointment you have is part of Almighty God moving you forward as his masterpiece. Do you hear that? To be made like Jesus, you won't be left in prison forever. You won't be left in pain forever. You won't be left alone forever. God will finish the work in you. That's good news. Okay, so here's what I thought would happen. Okay, I'm just, I'm just coming clean on this. So I'm in my office praying, and, and I write, and I'm, I'm praying, I'm thinking. You guys may not know, that probably doesn't show. I'm thinking, and, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, let's model this. So Paul talks to himself about gospel truth. He talks to others about gospel truth. He talks to God about gospel truth. So let's talk about the gospel truth here, and let's see that build up joy in us. I hope that's happening. And you, as you think about God began a work of saving you by his grace, he will finish the work. And that work is that he will make you just like Jesus. And everything in your life is working together for that great good. Gospel truth number three. Go back to Philippians chapter one. 
And I want us to read verses nine through 11. So God begins a work of saving us. God will finish that work of saving us. And chapter one, verses nine through 11 of Philippians says this, and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you hear that? Those verses are filled with reminders that God is the one who not only begins a work and will finish the work. Here's gospel truth number three. God is the one who will provide everything you need between the beginning and the end in your salvation. He begins a work, he will finish the work, and he will provide everything you need in between the beginning and the end in your salvation. He will be the one who will supply the righteousness that you need to live more and more and more like Jesus. Jesus does this in us. He supplies this for us. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. Where's that come from? From a television preacher with a big smile and slick hair. No, no. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through what? Through Jesus Christ. He gives us everything we need from beginning to end to live the life he's called us to live. Remember, this is a prayer, right? This is a prayer. Paul's praying this for the Philippians. So when Paul wants these guys to grow in their love, he doesn't just say, hey, grow in your love. He prays, right? When he tells them he desires that their love would be informed with knowledge and with discernment so they would only give their approval for good, excellent things. He doesn't just say, hey, why don't you just give your approval to things that are good and loving so that you'll love in a real loving way. He doesn't just say that. He says, he prays that for them. When he wants them to be filled with a fruit of, of righteousness, the, the life that pleases God, he doesn't just say, hey, live right, people. He prays for them. Why does he pray? Because all of those things depend on the gracious work of God. All of them come to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Certainly we are responsible. Certainly we are accountable for our choices. But the only hope we have of ever being able to live a life that pleases Almighty God is through the power of the grace of God flowing through the Holy Spirit in the work of Jesus Christ. God has to do that work within us. I got an awesome card a couple weeks ago from an 81-year-old lady who's been attending our church for less than a year. And her note um, shared that God had been doing a work of developing her understanding of the gospel. That God doesn't just start a work and then leave us to do the rest by our own willpower. And I want you to listen to what this 81-year-old sister wrote. She said, I used to ask what I should do for the Lord. And now I've learned to ask what the Lord is going to do through me. I have a needlepoint picture my mother made me that says, make each day of your life a masterpiece. And I've had to add to that, let God. (laughs) How awesome is that? An 81-year-old sister in Christ who's learning that the Christian life doesn't just start by faith and dependence on Jesus. The entire Christian life is lived by faith and dependence on Jesus. And listen to this, Christian. God began the work saving you 
And he will finish the work of saving you. And he will supply everything you need to become more and more and more like Jesus in your salvation. If you're truly made alive by faith in Jesus Christ, God Almighty will not cut any corners on making you more like Jesus. He's going to keep you by his grace. And by his grace, he won't keep you the same. He's gonna give everything you need to live a life of righteousness. So three gospel truths right there in our text. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it and he will supply you with the fruit of righteousness to the very day of Jesus Christ so that your love might abound more and more and you might approve what is excellent and only excellent. All of that by the grace of God depending on Jesus and Jesus alone. That's gospel truth. And what Paul do? He talked to himself about gospel truth. As he's thinking about these Philippians and he's thinking about what they may be going through and he's thinking, you know what? They may actually be put in prison. They may be losing their lives. I want things to be well with them. Do you know what he does? He talks to himself about gospel truth. He says, he began a work in them. He'll be faithful to complete it. As you're thinking about your kids, what's your hope that their life and their future will be good and glorious? Is it that you'll parent them well or that God is kind and gracious and powerful to use you to parent them well? Some of you were here a couple of months ago when I shared a quote uh, from Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've had a lot of you say how helpful this quote was for you. Some of you weren't here then, so let me give it to you again in case you missed it. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they're talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody's talking. Who's talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, listen, self, listen for a moment. I'll speak to you. It's a good quote, right? That's what Paul is doing. As he's thinking about his situation, we'll see later on, he's, he's facing potential death as he's in prison. And he says this, as I'm thinking about maybe I'm gonna die at the end of this prison sentence, you know what he does? He talks to him himself, but for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He speaks gospel truth in himself and sees his circumstances through the lens of the gospel, not the gospel through the lens of circumstance. That's why he can have joy when circumstances aren't going well because circumstances don't change a thing about Jesus and his gospel. Which means it doesn't change a thing about you when you're alive in the gospel, right? So he talks to himself. He talks to others about the gospel. That's exactly what he's doing here. We have this letter because Paul is telling other people about the gospel of Jesus. Think about it this way. We know that when God begins a work, he's faithful to complete it because the apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit told somebody else about it. He spoke to himself about the gospel truth and he spoke to others about gospel truth. And great joy occurs in our hearts and our lives when we speak gospel truth to one another. We were talking about a trip that our family's gonna be taking upcoming. And last night I was, I was kneeling beside my little girl's bed. I was asking her, what are you looking forward to the most on, on this trip? 
And she started to tell me a few things. And she said, what are you looking forward to uh, the most, Dad? I said, honestly, I think the thing I look forward to all of our trips the most is sharing them with you. Like, I love being able to see beautiful things. And I love being able to say that thing in my heart that says, hey, you got to see this. You got to see this. When you eat that delicious cake and since it's vacation, calories don't count. And you eat that and you say, what do you say? You turn to the person next to you. You got to taste this, man. There's joy in the sharing of the truth. And we're built that way because God made us to be sharers and primarily sharers of the grace and gospel of Jesus. There's great joy to be found when you talk to yourself about the gospel and there's joy that is consummated within us when we talk to other people about the gospel as well. Some of you've had that experience. You've walked away from a conversation that turned into a gospel conversation. I got a text from Emily uh, the other day. She, she sat down with one of our five and she, she texted me and said, I had the greatest gospel conversation with her. I just got to tell her the gospel. I, I don't know why I'm pounding my fist. Kindly and gently sharing the gospel with her. She, I got to share. She was pumped because there's great joy in telling the gospel of Jesus Christ to one another. And they don't have to be unsaved to share the gospel with them. And your conversations with your family and friends, nine times out of 10, as you encounter difficulties or discouragements, the, the prescription for their soul is the gospel of Jesus. It's the bedrock of our joy. Paul talked to himself, he talked to others, and he talked to God about the gospel. Verses nine through 11 are a prayer that Paul prays, right? He's talking to God. The, the prayer is filled with gospel truth and it's a prayer that he's offering on behalf of these Philippian believers. And I just would encourage you, compare the way you normally pray each day for the people in your life with the way Paul prays in this, this letter. His prayers aren't always what you would expect from a dude who is in prison writing to people who could encounter suffering and death themselves. He doesn't pray to be released from jail. He doesn't pray for a, a political revolution, even though we pray for those who are over us in our government. He doesn't pray for a lot of the things that we would, we would associate with comfort and convenience in his life. He prays the work of sanctification. He prays the work of gospel power over them. He talks to God about the gospel and the lives of the people that he loves. Have you ever considered that part of the reason we struggle with joylessness is that we want something more than Jesus for ourselves and other people? And it's reflected in the way we pray. We usually offer to God the thing we most want him to do. And many of us know the panic in our hearts when we most want God to give us and fill in the blank what that might be, whether it's health or prosperity or a job or comfort or whatever that thing might be. You know the ache in your heart to want that thing in a way you can't ever quite get far away from it. When was the last time you desired Jesus like that for yourself and those that you love? If you have, then you know the kind of praying Paul did. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, I want you. Last week, I, I, I asked a rhetorical question and half the room answered it. Uh, and I said, where does joy even come from? Where is joy found? And half of you yelled out immediately as your reflex, Jesus. So we know that Jesus is the center of joy in our hearts. But does that reflect itself in the way you pray? Are you talking to God uh, about that gospel work in your life. So I wanna encourage you to do that. 
I wanna encourage you to pray for gospel power to grow in your lives and in the lives of those that you love and I want us to do that. I want us to move into a time of praying with one another. You might be seated with a spouse or a close friend, a family member. So I wanna encourage you if, you, if you want to, you can hold their hand, you can put your arm around them. Um, maybe you just feel comfortable, you wanna pray by yourself right now, but I want us to move into a time where we don't just hear the teaching about how we talk to God and one another, we actually do it. So however you feel comfortable, and if you don't know the person next to you and you still feel led, you can say, hey, could I pray this with you? Could I pray this with you? And if they say no, leave it at that. Don't weird them out. We wanna pray with each other in these gospel truths. So however it is that you're feeling led right now, would you just bow your heads? I wanna lead you through this time of praying. Some of you need to begin by confessing, I want joy. I need joy. And if that's you, would you just, would you just pray, God, I want joy, give me joy. And would you pray that God would would help you to remember and believe the truth of the gospel that in his love and desire he chose you and started a work to save you. Would you thank him for that? Thank you for loving me. Thank you for wanting me. Would you pray that God would remind you and cause you to believe that God will finish that work? Some of you feel like it's so in doubt. He will finish that work. Would you praise him? Thank you, God, you're gonna, you're gonna finish this thing. Thank you that you won't leave me alone. You won't let go. Would you thank God that he will give you everything you need to live the life he's called you to live? And to ask him to build your faith, your dependence on Jesus for the things you're facing today and tomorrow and this week. And would you pray this for someone else? Maybe it's the person you're seated with or someone that the Spirit would bring to your mind. But would you pray that their love would grow more and more? Would you pray that God would inform their love with knowledge and discernment so they they would actually know what real biblical love looks like? Would you pray that our love would be a discerning love and only approve things that are excellent so that we would never affirm things in the life of people that are destructive or that are dishonoring to God 
that our love would be informed to only approve excellent things. And would you ask that your life and the life of those that you're praying with would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, right living that pleases God. Father, I praise you for the truth of the gospel that's loaded in this passage of scripture. I praise you that you are gracious to begin the work of saving us. You're gracious to complete the work you've begun and you're gracious to give us everything we need from beginning to end in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that our love would grow more and more, that we would have discernment to know how to love the people in our lives that we would approve only of those things that are excellent and affirm good, God-honoring things in our lives and the lives of the people around us. Father, I pray that our lives would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, that we would live right in a way that pleases you and is fitting for those who are being saved. Father, I pray that you would be glorified. To you be glory now and forever in who we are and in how we live. And Lord, I pray that in thinking through the truth of what we're facing and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that surrounds all we're facing, Lord, I pray our hearts would be filled with joy in Jesus today. Make us the happiest people on Merritt Island. Father, do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.